Hello friends, how are you? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, someone that I love very much and who I'm grateful for every single day. Today I'm joined by Maureen Duke. Maureen is here to talk about the support for families of those affected by alcoholism and addiction. She is also a retired nurse, a mother of eight and a grandmother of 13, plus one Jew in July. And she's also my mammy. So I'm absolutely delighted to have her here today. You have to come all the way up for Mayo. Mayo for Sam. We won't, we won't talk about the war. So, Mom, how are you? Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hi, Colin. Thank you very much for having me. I am delighted to be here and, and just to talk about my journey. And I'm, I'm actually a member. I go to Al-Anon meetings um, in Mayo and also in Dublin when I come up. And I'm just here just to talk a little bit about that and the support that is available if needed for the families of um, who are affected by someone else's drinking or who, somebody else who has an, uh, uh, addiction issues. So I'll just read a tiny little bit about what Al-Anon does. The Al-Anon family groups are a fellowship of relatives and friends of alcoholics who share their experience, strength and hope in order to solve their common problems. We believe alcoholism is a family illness and that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Al-Anon has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps, by welcoming giving comfort to families of alcoholics and by giving understanding and encouragement to the alcoholic. And um, I, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home. My parents came from Riscommon and Galway, and they actually met in Birmingham in the 50s, where they'd gone, because all their siblings had left the farms as well. Mm. And then they came back, and I was reared in Dublin. And I married, uh, I went into nursing, and then when I got married then, I, we had eight children. We had one little one that passed at birth, but I've reared seven wonderful children. But it's been an, ama- it's been an amazing journey for me. Um, there wasn't any alcoholism in my family, but we always had big parties in our house when I was growing up because my parents were based in Dublin and they'd all be coming back from England into, in, from Dunleary, into Dunleary from Hollyhead and they'd stop over in our house and then the All-Irelands on the way down to Roscommon and then the All-Irelands was a bigger weekend in our house than Christmas especially if it was a team from the West of Ireland playing, they'd all be coming and they'd all be looking to stay in our house. And my dad was a member of a GEA club in Fogg's Club in, over, in, um, over near the Spa Well, as it was in those days. And um, he was always able to get tickets at the last minute for anyone who ever asked. So he was always very popular with everybody. But um, there was always big parties in our house. And my parents were not alcoholics at all. But um, yet we, I had a lot of cousins who would have developed it. And um, it was in the family, you know, it was in in the genes, I suppose, to a degree. But, um, you know, I didn't, we never actually, we just said someone had a drink issue. We didn't know that, that that's what it was in those days at all, because there wasn't very much said about it when I was growing up, really. It, not people didn't really talk about it back then. Like, it wasn't an issue, you know. I remember, no. I remember hearing this story, this lad was telling me that, uh, you know, this priest went down to a funeral down in Carlow, you know, and... Uh, he was doing the, the service or whatever and he walked in and he, he was awake and he seen the guy sitting there in the coffin and he was really, he was in his 40s, he was only young and he turned around to the wife and goes, well, he's so young, like, how, how did he, you know, how did he die? And she goes, oh, he was, a, he was fond of the drink 
And he says, oh, he was an alcoholic. She goes, Jesus, no, he wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, that's the crazy thing about the culture. It's like that you could be a blackout, wet the bed, fall down drunk. But God forbid you, you kind of you, you admit you have a problem and you go and do something about it, like, you know. Well, I remember that years ago, talking to um, cousins and friends of mine down in the West and um to, you know, I was telling them that a relation of mine was actually attending uh, you know, AA meetings. And they said, whatever about someone having a drink problem, it's a terrible disgrace in the family if they're going to AA meetings, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I was acknowledging it, you know. I thought that was very funny. Was yeah, I was sitting in the pub ones and uh, you know, chatting to the lads and uh, it somehow AA came up and... Uh, one of the lads says, oh, geez, I wouldn't go there. He goes, why not? It's just remember John used to be here every night of the week. I was like, yeah. But since he started going to AA, I haven't seen him since. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I was told years ago that that's a cult. Why yeah. do you want to be going to a cult for? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, so, how, so how will I start off now? Oh, sorry. So, yeah, so you, you're, te- <laughs> you're telling her. I'm easily taken off the point know, anyway. Yeah. So you're telling her story about that we come from good country stock in uh, yeah. Roscommon. Yeah. And uh, so I'm a culture, I'm a culture at heart. Yeah. And uh, just how the, how alcoholism kind of was, was kind of in your genes and how, how it kind of affected you as a kid growing up and just things like that. Yeah. And it, it often can miss a generation and then come. In, in the next generation as yeah. well. I've seen What's that, that happen thing? in the family. Some, what did I say? Nature or nurture. Sometimes it can be in the genetics. Sometimes it can be a learned thing. Sometimes it can be learned coping mechanism or can develop over time. But mm. I think as well, it's not always about overanalyzing the cause or the problem and mm. more so just to get into the solution. And then when you're on the lifeboat or you're on safe ground, then yeah. kind of go and analyze the reasons as to why, if it's going to help with your recovery. Yeah, the main thing is to get, is once they get into recovery. Yeah, that's the most important thing. Um, so, w- 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 yeah, I I would have gone to Al-Anon um in Dublin back in the in the late nineties or so, yeah, or even the so, early two thousands. So, so Al-Anon is like for so it's for people who have addiction would go to like AA or twelve like these twelve mm. set meetings for recovery, and Al-Anon's like for the families of people. Yeah. That's right, because al- the alcoholism affects the whole family. It, it, isn't, it doesn't just affect the person with, with the actual issue. It affects the whole family. And the whole family needs recovery because often the people living with the drinker are actually become very, very ill and become more, you know, wor- you know can develop serious illnesses from all the stress and from all the trying to control it and the trying to bribe them, trying to all the emotional blackmail and all the, the fear and the worry. Is it something I'm doing? Is it something, mm. am I causing it? Or can I, well, I, maybe I'm not cooking properly. Maybe I'm not dressing up properly. Maybe I'm too, cry- they, oh, they try everything in, an, in a desperate attempt to try and stop this person drinking and believing that if this person would only stop drinking, everything would be perfect in the world. And unfortunately, what often happens is then that the alcoholic will go in to either rehab or they start going to AA meetings and they gradually come into recovery but the person at home is still the same as, as ever and when, and this is when a lot of uh, relationships can break down because when they come home and they're starting to you know go into recovery and become well again the person at home is still full of fear they're full of anger they're full of resentment where are you going how long will you be who are you going out with and smelling them when they come in again and saying well there's no point when this person usually if it's a couple um depending if it's the wife or the, the husband 
the, the person who's not who's not drinking will have taken over the house. They're running the house. They're going, running the kids. They're paying all the bills. They've taken all the responsibilities. And actually, after a while, you know, you, you get into a control thing and you're quite happy to do all of this. And then you can blame. It's also the blame game. They can blame the other person for all the ills in their life. And you can get onto a nice little victim pity pot. And all of a sudden, this person starts to get well again. And now they want to start taking back some responsibilities. But they don't want to let go. Well, why mm, should I? Yeah. You're going to start drinking again in a couple of weeks. So there's no point. And that can cause huge friction. And a lot of relationships are more inclined to break down when one per- when the drinker goes into recovery than when they're actually drinking, which is hard to believe. And that's why it's so, that's why it's so important that both of the couple go for help, not just the one. Yeah. That's mad, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, when, like, I suppose you, you, on one side of it, when you have an addiction, it's out learning that you're powerless over the substance. Mm. And then when you're kind of the family affected by the, the person with the addiction, it's about learning that you're powerless over the alcoholic or yeah. you're powerless over the addict. Like. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the, the first step is I am powerless over people, places and things. I am powerless over the other person who's drinking because... We are only in control of ourselves. And if we have children, we are in control of them until they're 18 years of age. But after that, we, you know, we have, we have, we're not in, we cannot change anybody else. We cannot control anybody else. But the problem is, of course, we cannot accept unacceptable behavior. That is the only thing. And then the person themselves have to decide what, what is acceptable to them and what isn't within the relationship. When, we, when you come into an Al-Anon meeting, um, the first thing that I, I, I came in because my son had, had been drinking, I had moved down to the Gory, near, near Gory, when my marriage broke down. I brought down the four, you know, the four youngest of my children. And then my son started, to, you know, developing, hanging around with a bad crowd and developing issues. And eventually um, the school said he was no longer welcome in school. And of course, I panicked. This and was I, me. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I was trying to see <laughs> that was a nice way of putting it. Yeah. But um, I, I automatically assumed that I just picked the wrong town because one of the ways I dealt with it, we all deal with things in a different way. But the way I dealt with it was I developed what they call geographicals and I decided to move. I must have picked the wrong town. Maybe Gory's too rough. Maybe the school is too big. Maybe he's just upset because my marriage had broken down. And one of the teachers in the school told me that the main problem with that young fella is that there's no male mentor in his life. And I says to myself, what what do they want me to do? Go out and pick up some idiot off the street or what? So anyway, I decided, no, this town doesn't suit me at all. So, of course, um, so I started looking, well, where should I go? So, of course, instead of going nearby, what did I do? Only go, go west. But I decided I'd better not stop in Roscommon because... I wouldn't want the relations to know what's going on in our house because we were always taught that as kids. Whatever went on in Dublin, stayed in Dublin, never yeah. let them know down the country what was going on. It's, so yeah. I drove through Riscommon and ended up in Foxford in Mayo. Yeah. Of it's all that thing, is, it doesn't matter what madness is going on in the house, just don't let the neighbours no, find neighbor, out. You know, or the cousins in the country. Keeping up appearances. Oh yeah, that's very important, yeah. So um, a neighbour, we we'd lived in Sandyford before I moved down to Exford for 20 years. So two of or my neighbours on the road had actually moved to Foxford. So I went down and had a look at it and it looked like a lovely town. And I thought, it's a little village in the north of Mayo, quite near Ballina. And I thought, sure, this will do. You're never realising what I was doing. Arrived down there with the four kids, a lone parent from Dublin. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they, they still have a lot of a chip on the shoulder about Dubs down in Mayo. But anyway, mm. please God, one of these days, they'll ring home Sam McGuire and they like <laughs> us again. Yeah. But anyway, that'll be the day. But... Um, 
basically, it, it, life didn't get any easier because I was now three hours away from all the family in Dublin. And I had had a lot of support in Gory, And of course, that was all gone now. And I was starting off fresh again. And it didn't get any easier because I didn't really un- realise that my son had an addiction issue. I thought it was just bad behaviour or the wrong crowd he was mixing with and he was easily influenced and all these excuses I was making. But unfortunately, addiction is a progressive illness. And gradually, he started to get worse again and he was getting arrested. And to this day, when I see a police car driving into the ho- into a housing estate and pulling up outside someone's house, I just get goosebumps all over the place. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they never come with good news. God love them. I know it's somebody has to do that job, but anyway... Um, eventually, um, I found my way. Yeah, their dad came down to visit them. There, there was a convent. We, the the Alcoholics Anonymous run conventions where they'd go to a hotel for the weekend and they supply meetings. And usually there'd be Al Anon meetings there as well. Mm. And they're great weekends. They're, they're actually celebration, but yeah. for people in recovery. So anyway, um, the, the dad was coming down, and I and the, this convention was on in the downhill in Ballinau as it was in those days. So I decided, um, you know, to bring the kids. I brought in the three youngest ones in to visit him. And he took them off to the swimming pool. And I had time to kill. And I happened to see that there was an Al-Anon meeting on. So I went along to that anyway. And um, I couldn't believe it. How, um, you know, I, I, I could identify with an awful lot that was being said. So What I type came, of things were getting said, do you remember? Um, the, the one the first thing that struck me was the three C's. That I didn't cause it. I cannot cure it and I cannot control it because all the time when you're living with somebody with an addiction, you think it's your, you have to try and fix this. And of course, I was the oldest of the family and I had gone into nursing. So I thought that I could fix this. You know, we have this thing within us that we must fix everything and sort everything and solve everything. So that's, that was one of the things I was fascinated by that because I thought, well, it must be my fault because um, I'd broken up the marriage and I'd brought them down to Gory out of their, where they'd been living all their lives up in Sandyford. And then, of course, when I moved over to Mayo, I, I took them even further away from all, their fam- from all their friends and family. And I thought it must be my fault, must be all the mistakes I'm making. But I realised that no matter what I did, that it, they, they're only going to stop when they're ready to stop themselves. When, they've come, when they, have to, they have to hit a realisation that they have an issue. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, they have to, they, I've often heard this, that they have to hit rock bottom before they're ready to admit they have a problem. The first step is for them to say, I have a problem, then to go and then for them to go and seek help. And no matter what the person at home is doing, that they're not going to go and seek help. They will often, um, I've often seen them, they'll agree to go into rehab for the four weeks. It's, but that often is because the family is putting so much pressure on them or the job is threatening them and they just decide to go in to get people off their back. But unfortunately, a lot of them can relapse if they weren't ready to stop themselves at the time when they first go in. But Colm would know more about that side of it. You yeah. know, you could hear them saying, oh, they, they've been in about five times or six times and <laughs> yeah. all of this, you know, because they weren't ready when they went in. But um, the, the amazing thing was then when I came out, I, I met a couple of people that I actually knew their faces. And it turned out that there was a, an Al-Anon meeting in Hope House in Foxford, which was only five minutes walk from where I lived. That's a rehab, isn't it, in Foxford Hope Foxford, House? sorry, Hope House is a residential addiction unit. For all, They take people, they have um, two sections to it. They have the residential section where people come in and stay for the month yeah. to get help with all kinds, they do all kinds of addiction, not just drinking drugs, they do everything. You wouldn't believe the, every, what people are addicted to these days. And then um, they have the, they also run meetings. They have meetings there as well for anybody to come in from outside, but they have that in a separate building. Yeah. 
I think that's brilliant. Like when you see people that go into treatment and, you know, like the great thing about treatment is that it gets you out of the old environment, you know, and it, you're going through like, say, a 12-step program or you're going through like one-to-one counselling and you're going through like, you have a group of people that are recovering together and, and you're kind of, you're kind of going back to the why, but also a kind of, uh, uh, how you can function on the outside without mm. you going back to using that old substance and I think what happens is a lot of people come out with treatment and they go back to the old triggers or the old friends or the old relationships and the old environments and see you can't heal in the same environment that got you sick so it's about like the stuff that you take from treatment to t- bring to make change at home as much as you can and even going to like a 12 step community or doing something that's like changing changing the community or changing your your old behaviors and doing this stuff to kind of um to, to prevent us going back to drinking and using again like you know mm. and also it helps if the person you're most involved with at home also is coming into recovery too mm. because a lot of people think it's only the alcoholic or the person taking the drugs or whatever that needs recovery but the people living with them need it as well and if they're coming back it can it will it will be quite toxic for the newly recovered person, if the person at home is still angry and resentful and still trying to control. But just talking about the, you know, I just think it's very weird. Things happen for a reason. I mean, I was living in the gory area and why would I have suddenly taken up my kids and moved all the way to Foxford? But it, it turned out that Hope House was in Foxford and I started going to the Al-Anon meetings there and I started going, I think it must be January 2008 now since I started going along and... um it helped me so much, but it, it's a very slow process. I mean, that we I learned about the three C's. And at an Al-Anon meeting, we normally have, a, we pick a theme. It could be one of the slogans that the, we, we'd have a lot, of, we, we'd use a similar 12-step program to, to AA, but the, the 12-step program is in a lot of different groups now. And you know, we'd have all the slogans as well. Easy does it or this too shall pass or keep it simple or one day at a time or keep it in the day or let go, let God. There have various themes like that or we just use the, maybe acceptance or gratitude or love or, or whatever. And we, we usually would sit around in a circle and one person would um, chair, which would be different people all the time. There is no bosses in Al-Anon. It's just all, we're all equal. No one is more important than the other. Um, but just one person would just, meaning that they'd open the meeting say a few words and then open it out to the group. And then each person in the group then can speak for three to five minutes uninterrupted on the theme or whatever is happening in their life if they choose to share that. And there is no pressure on anyone to share. And normally the meeting would last an hour to an hour, 15 minutes. But normally in Al-Anon, we would, we would not finish till everyone has had a few minutes to say, to speak. And then after they would have a cup of tea and a chat or hand out leaflets or whatever, if, if anyone would like them. But we mostly deal with uh, relationships and coping with the effects of alcoholism on the family. And um, I remember when I came in first, um, because I had been the eldest and I was nursing, I I thought I was the nicest person on earth because I was advising everybody, telling everyone what they should be doing, and because I thought I knew best. I remember being told, hearing this, mind your own business, and I caught, how dare they say that to me? You know, I mean, who do they think they are? Because I thought, but it turned out that I was interfering, I was controlling, I was forcing my will and others. I wasn't letting people 
come to their own decisions and how they wanted or their own solutions, how they wanted to sort their lives out. And that is that has been a great lesson for me because I was always inclined to be rescuing or I thought I was rescuing. Well, maybe I was or just forcing my will. And others. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I didn't. That's co- that, a lot of that, too, is codependency where you only are happy when you're involved in everybody else's lives and you're putting all the attention into other people and sorting them out, but not giving, not looking after yourself at all. And when you're going, like a, a distraction, so you don't yeah, have to look it, at yourself. Yeah, it's keeping you busy. It's it's all going outwards, and there's yeah. nothing coming back. And the main message in Al-Anon is self care. It's take all the attention because a lot of people in who are living with addiction are completely obs- they, the person with the addiction is obsessed with whatever substance they're taking, whereas the person living with them is obsessed with them to the point that you'd have often they'd be neglecting the kids because they're so obsessed. I remember being like that with the dad watching to see what kind of mood he was going to be in today. And that decided the whole family. So the whole family revolved around this one person in the house. But gradually, you know, you start to take the attention back onto yourself. And, you know, you don't... And the other thing I learned is not to react. Like, if somebody else is in a bad mood, that doesn't mean that I have to go into a bad mood or I have to become depressed. Yeah. That I have to just focus on myself and let it, and just let it go over my head. And you have to say... You know, if someone's looking for a row, you've got to decide, well, is this my business? Is this my fight to take up or am I better off to keep out of it? Because our our message is, is about serenity, having tr- serenity in your life and, you know, no, you know, reducing as much stress as possible because stress is a killer. And a lot of us, when we're living with active addiction, the stress actually makes a lot of, I mean, can make us very physically ill. We can develop all kinds of ser- very serious illnesses from the stress of living of living with it and the hopelessness and the fear and the worry, all of that. It's, 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 very, it's not good for the body at all. And in Al-Anon, we just, we learn little, little tools to make, you know, to help us cope with life. And I, I've found it has really helped me. I'm an easier person to live with now. I still at times forget that I'm not the higher power of my offspring and I do <laughs> dive in. And I, I call them suggestions rather than <laughs> telling them what they should be doing because yeah. I think I know better. <laughs> uh, it's only suggested that you use a parachute when you jump over a plane. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, me as a, I suppose me as a young teenager and a young adult, you know, I you know, when I was in the kind of in my element in, with, with drink, I was brought home quite a lot by the guards. I was in trouble a lot. I was in a lot of fights. I was... I suppose, yeah, just kind of in the midst of it all. How how did that affect you at that time? I found it, um, you know, because I'd grown up in a middle class background and we never saw guards in our house and there was never any problems. I was mortified, embarrassed. I remember only being there a week or two when the local guard knocked on my door and he said, "And where are you and who are you and all of that? And I said, I'd come down from Dublin and that I was alone parenting. He says, well, we don't really want your type in our village. This is a nice village. And I was really upset about that, you know, because it, it, to them, a Dublin lone parent, you know, the, the attitude there. And I remember when I first went down there, it was like going back 25 years because mm-hmm. it was so old fashioned and everything it was an awful shock to the, you know, but um, it, it is difficult. And you see, we, lo- I mean, I loved, I mean, not I loved, I, I love Colm to bits. He was, you know, he was Col- born. You love me. You're not, yeah, I'm sitting across <laughs> a bit. You know? <laughs> I'm so used to sharing where you don't, uh, yeah. you know, you keep it. <laughs> Who's this Colm fella? Because <laughs> they, they, they talk about anonymity all the time and you're meant to stick to that. But anyway, but it's, you know, you, you love, the, you, I love Colm very, very much, but it's the behavior is difficult. I remember one time, 
um, I was meant to be going out with my friend for for my birthday. And uh, we did lovely. She was taking me out to some hotel and I was really looking forward to it. And then I got a phone call to say, your son is down. I think he was in the, the local police station, Swinford or somewhere. Will you come and collect him? And I had to do this on a regular basis. And I used to, when I'd go in and I, they used to lecture me. And I, I mean, they, probably, they didn't mean any harm. They were just trying to point out all the, all the problems that was going to occur and all things that were going to happen if he didn't sort himself out. And of course, I took 100% responsibility for all of it. You know, I thought, well, it must be something I'm doing and all that. And because at that stage, I wasn't going to Al-Anon. I hadn't started going to Al-Anon at that point. But gradually, when I went into Al-Anon then, I realized that that's his choice at the moment to do that. And the other thing is, there's absolutely no point in trying to talk to someone who's who's got any kind of drink on them at the time. You know, if you're trying, going to try and speak to them, always try and do it afterwards um, when when they're sober up or when they when, maybe the next morning. And the other thing, what we're taught, oh yeah, in Al-Anon as well, is detach with love. And that means that, you know, pull back because a lot of the time we're enabling them. Like we're ringing up the job to say that they can't come in because they have the flu or a tummy bug or we're, you know, going, I used to go to all, go to all the parent-teacher meetings or we're paying all the bills. We're running, we're doing everything. See, the only way they're ever going to look at themselves and see if they have an issue is if you let them take responsibility, mm-hmm. let them take, let them suffer the consequences of their actions. Because yeah. if we're the whole time, you know, minding them and I used to run in and put the hands out to grab them before they hit rock bottom, you're only continuing their journey. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, you're not actually doing them any favors either. Because the longer they continue that substance abuse, the more damage they're going to do to their body. So, and we think we're helping, but we're actually not, we're enabling. Yeah. And that can be hard to hear in the beginning. Yeah, it can be so true, especially when you, you love someone a lot, you mm. know, and just to sit back and know that you're powerless over them, mm. not, you can't change them. But then it's their natural maternal instincts is to yeah. protect and save and mm. fix and want the best. And it goes against our... I don't know, just our makeup to want to help someone and fix yeah. someone, you know, knowing that we can't is, is a difficult pill it to swallow. Because we talked about, as I said, detach with love. Now, I have to be honest, I found it easier to detach from spouses, but mm. very, very, almost impossible to detach from your own offspring because yeah. you've given birth to this child. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, and then, of course, automatically you're going to say, well, there must be something I can do. Now, in Al-Anon, we never give advice or we never tell somebody what to do. We all share our own experience, strength and hope. And then the people listen to what everybody else is saying and then make a decision. We talk about not accepting unacceptable behavior, but we don't say, well, what is acceptable and what isn't? That's up to you yourself to decide. Yeah. You would never say to someone, would you better kick them out? That's not our, our business to do that. Each person is there and they must make their own decisions about what, what suits them in their lives. Uh, look, I just want you to know that I'm so sorry for my behavior when it was in the midst of addiction and um, yeah, I love you very much and mm. you know, sorry for how we affected the, the siblings as well and yeah, you know, when when you're in the when you're in the middle of that you you don't you don't even know the impact you're having on your family. You know, you, I suppose you're just in survival mode. You, you just wanna get out of pain and you just wanna get, feel okay and the only way you know to do that is to numb yourself with with a drink mm. you know and um and just wanting to keep chasing that buzz and the next drink will fix me or the next drink will sort me out and then i'll fix all the problems tomorrow and yeah you know but 
it's it's just it's just the insanity of addiction. You know what I mean? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But I'm so grateful for like when you came when you went into Anlon and the difference in you now. You know, and you can see that in you. You know the just your whole demeanour and you're just calm and you're relaxed and you're reliable as well. I always feel so comfortable just able to pick up the phone and talk to you if a problem going on or something's happening and, you know, to feel comfortable in calling someone and, and giving you a phone call. And, you know, you know, when I got sober, I know I was 21 and just to have you there and that dad was in AA as well and, you know, like I think recovery was massive in our family. Mm. You know, because because you and dad doing it, so it, it kind of normalised me getting it so young. Because dad, because dad didn't drink, that kind of made it okay. So not drinking is a thing, like you know. And mm. I think that definitely impacted me getting it so young. And then, obviously, me having my last drink at an AA convention, <laughs> going to help as well. And you know, even like I remember one of my fondest memories. Uh, before I think it was a month before Dad died, we were over at Eamon's wedding. We, my little brother in Brighton, in Bristol, sorry, and uh, the, the the wedding was going on. You know, there was drink left, right, and centre. I think it was about I was about six years sober, and uh, you know, and I just looked at my phone and said, "Right, I need to go to an AA meeting." You know, kind of me my head was a bit wrecked just being around all the drink and. I just Googled the meeting and I said it to Dad. I said, Dad, I'm going to go to a meeting. And he goes, I'd love to go as well. And okay, and then I said it to you. And then you said, actually, you know what? I'd love to go as well, you know. And so the three of us nipped out of this wedding and found this meeting in Bristol. And, you know, just this lovely crowd of people that were so welcoming. And, you know, I was, I was sitting in this AA meeting in a, in a tuxedo. I had my, my dad to the left of me and my mom to the right of me. And... It was just a beautiful moment. I remember just sitting there going, This is you know, this is the the gifts of recovery, you know what I mean? Life beyond your wildest dreams and that was that was one of my fondest uh, ever memories and then I know Dad passed away a few weeks later and I had that kind of memory there to cherish, like, you know what I mean, to be able to get sober uh, together in a family like and um that's the thing, active alcoholism has that ripple effect where we can Destroy and sabotage everything around us, you know, our families, mm. you know, our jobs, our health, our mental health, our spiritual health. And, you know, but then when we get sober, it has that ripple effect goes the opposite way. It becomes a positive ripple effect, you know, where it starts to rebuild the families. You know, you start to get jobs, you know, your health and your mental health and your spiritual health all start to improve, you know. Mm. And what, what I found what helped me a lot was when I just focused on staying sober one day at a time and stopped interfering with all the other stuff, you know, all the other stuff just started to fall into place, you know. But that ripple effect reminds me that um, I started going to Al-Anon first and I, I, I started to change. I, I wasn't as anxious. I wasn't as stressed. And then... Um, and I was going to, and I had a friend in AA and we used to go to a few conventions together. And then Colm's dad, Mick, decided to come along because he, he saw how much fun we were having. And he started going along to the conventions and he enjoyed them so much that he started then going into AA too. And then, you know, the, the other thing is as well that we had a very acrimonious marriage breakup, barring order, everything. And there was a lot of anger and resentment on both sides. But when I started going into Al-Anon, 
I realised that he wasn't to blame for everything that had gone wrong in my life, that I had a lot of my own baggage that I had never dealt with. And I gradually started to heal myself. Um, and then we, we are taught in Al-Anon as well that alcoholism is a disease. It's not that they're deliberately doing that to piss us off and that we develop com- to have compassion for them and to, for us to have serenity in our lives whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. But gradually I started to get better. I started to recover. And because I changed, I was able to have a better relationship then with Mick for the last 10 years of his life than, you know, we, you know, than when we were even married. And that was thanks to Alan. That was thanks to me getting recovery. So, I mean, it's a much better journey if the families also can get some kind of help, maybe even go for counselling or go into go to Al-Anon meetings. But it, it may, the fam, our family now is very close and, we're, we're, you know, we all get on very well because, you know, we, we've all gone for various types of 12-step programmes and it's improved our, you know, communication and our, we all get on much better. It's, it's made a huge difference. And I'm eternally grateful as well to AA because it saved my son's life. Because I was used to be so worried about where what was going to happen, and I'm I'm you know I feel so lucky that he is in recovery, and I know it's only one day at a time, but I thank God for that every day of my life, and it, it is there, but it's important as well. A, a lot of them unfortunately don't get into recovery, but it's you know, but the family, but if a person is attending Al-Anon, it gives them a little bit of serenity in their lives because they're working on themselves and they're. Focusing on themselves. And the most important message in Al-Anon is self-care. <clears throat> we have a few daily reading books. So one of them talks about the oxygen mask on the airplane. That when the oxygen mask comes down, you don't put it on the baby or the child or the invalid or the elderly person. You put it on yourself first. Because if you're not well, if you're not functioning, you can't look after anybody else anyway. So that's, that's one of the messages in Al-Anon is, to look at, is self-care because that's very important. What advice would you give to someone who has a, uh, could be a son, a daughter, a spouse, a family member, a friend who's in the, the midst of addiction and that's affecting them? What advice would you give to them? I'd say to find, to go on to the internet and into alanon.ie or alanon.org and, and find a meeting and just start coming to a meeting because all of us in the meetings are have gone through or are going through a similar situation and just to be among people that understand makes a huge difference because um, <clears throat> until they're ready to stop themselves, you know, there's not enough that you can do physically to, to help them at that time. Only just make sure one thing that um, we, we talk about is if they come home and they pass out on the floor or something like that and they say, well, you know, instead of picking them up and putting them into bed, you, you know, throw a duvet over them. But it's also very important just to make sure that they're lying in the, in the on their side in the recovery position as well. That's one of my things, because that's the nursing coming out in me there, just to make sure that, that, that they're safe. But I think just even just start coming to an Al-Anon meeting, I mean, that will help. And because even without you realising it, you're probably enabling. And you're, you know, you're probably, because of your behaviour, it's they're continuing to abuse whatever substance they're using. So it's good if you start, just even just do that, come along <clears throat> and talk to other people who are in a similar situation. And that will help you. So what if you like have a son or daughter <coughs> and they're in a really bad way with, with drugs or drink, whatever. Like, do you just leave them to it or do you try and have an intervention? Do you try and get them into a rehab? Like, well, You see, there's no point forcing anyone into a rehab unless that person themselves wants to do it. 
But you have to let them suffer the consequences of what of their actions as well. Stop, you know, stop giving them money, you know, to go out and do it. Stop collecting them. Stop tidying up the mess that they're making. All right. And maybe go for help yourself. Go in and there's, you know, depending on what substance they're using. Alanon is a lot of it is more based for abuse of alcohol. But there is lots of groups out there now, if you go on the Internet, that are offering support to the parents or offering support to families of people who are abusing substances as well. There's, there's an awful lot of support out there if anybody, if, if people want to go for it and to get help. No, no one should be suffering at home. There is help out there. And again, AA isn't the only way to go towards um, managing um, abuse or alcohol abuse. There's, there's various other ways as well. And, you know, I think it's important to get on the Internet and maybe try Al-Anon, see what that suits you. Sometimes going for counselling will help as well. And then sometimes you have to make some really hard decisions. If this if this behaviour is affecting everybody in the home, can it continue? What are you going to do about it? But no one's actually going to say to you, you have to do this or you have to do that. You have to make your decisions that's for your family, that suits your family. And when do you know when the line is getting crossed and someone is like, say alcoholic towards heavy drinking like what's the impact that says having the family well um if if, if they're beha- if, if it's if it's getting worse if they're missing more days in work if they're not taking responsibility if they never have any money and um, if all the money is going on that as well you know um meaning that they, they can't pay their bills or they're all the time borrowing or if it, if it came to the point where they were starting to steal money off family members. I mean, the, you have to put down boundaries as well. That's very important. That's something I never had boundaries at all because I didn't know what they were. Because mm. I grew up in an extremely strict um, household. And when I had kids, I decided I was going to be their best friend. So I had no boundaries at all. But that's very important to put down boundaries. And, you know, because it's important to have a, a nice atmosphere in the home and if one person is not is causing a very bad atmosphere and their behaviour, I mean, again, as I said earlier, that you have to make wait until they're completely sober and maybe first of all try a family intervention meeting where all the families sit down around the table when this person is not under the influence of a substance and everyone speaks about how they're finding it, how they're feeling, and you know, ask this person, you know, this is causing problems in the family. It cannot go on. If you're willing to go for help. That's fine. But if you're not willing to go for help, well, maybe you cannot continue to live here any longer. Sometimes that needs to be said, again, depending on the circumstances of the family. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Mm. Um, to know, but yeah, it's, it's get, as you said, the oxygen mask on the airplane, you know, you can't, you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm. And you talked about boundaries there. You talked about people pleasing. You talked about codependency. Are these... Some of the traits that you may have, like growing up in an alcoholic or a dysfunctional home. It depends. Now, I developed people pleasing. I was the oldest, as I said before, and I realised that if I was good and I and I did pleasing things, I got attention. So I developed that behaviour as a child and brought it into adulthood, and still to a degree have it as well. Where I'm, I'm a very nice, and I, I avoid confrontation. And, you know, you're, I, I didn't realize till I came into Alan on that people pleasing is looking for affirmation of you as a person because you don't believe in yourself. And it's also a fear of rejection. But the trouble is with people pleasing, you can get taken advantage of and you can get just, you can get drained very easily because you're doing and you're not looking after the self. So people pleasing is not self-care. But again, all these things take time. 
but it's often we don't realise we're displaying all these things until we come into a, a group, I mean, a group like Al-Anon and then we can hear other people. And we realise, gosh, I do that as well. And that's and that's how it works, that you're listening to what other people are talking about or how they behaved or how they coped. And then you realize, then you identify with that. And then you say, well, maybe if I try that, that might work for me. No one's going to tell you directly what you should do in your house because that's not the way it's done. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, 100%. That's what I found as well when I, when I came into AA first. You know, when I heard people talk and it wasn't just people like talking about the drinking or the drug use or the chaos it caused, you know, it was people that were sharing about the intangible things, you know, mm. the stuff that I suffered with since I was a kid, like feeling inadequate, not feeling good enough, feeling fear, feeling like an imposter, feeling like I was on the outside of the circle compared to the rest of society. And when you hear other people um, talking about these things, you know, you're like, well, I'm not the only one. And straight away you feel identity. You feel understanding. And that's, that for me, I really suffered with for a long time was I never felt understood. You know, I never felt like anybody got me, you know, and because I didn't even get myself, you know, I didn't even know myself, I had no identity, you know, because just trying to hide behind masks or, as you said, people please or play all these different personas. And then when I came into AA and hearing other people kind of narrate and illustrate all these things, all these things that I, I felt my whole life. It was a sense of relief that, wow, this is a thing. I'm, there's not something wrong with me. I'm not like, you know, I'm not like the damaged goods I thought I was, you know, and there's a whole range of people that have this. And that's usually the thing. You think you're unique with how you feel. There's so many other people out there that have it as well. Yeah. And I think sometimes, especially when we're suffering with mental health, we think we're the only people that get it, you know, we're looking out the window and seeing everyone else going on with their lives and everything looks great. And we think, oh, hold on, why am I suffering? There must be just something uniquely wrong with me. And that's why I find the great things when you reach out to other communities mm-hmm. and you hear other people sharing, it kind of takes the weight out of it. I'm like, wow. Because I found recovery is a wee thing that if you do it together, it's so much better, you know, because have that sense of fellowship and have that sense of, community around you and it doesn't even need to be a, like alcohol addiction or drug addiction or whatever addiction is it could be just wanting to bury yourself like there's you know majority of the, like it's the, the hikes or the sea dips or the communities that i'm in like not not most of the people don't have any problems with addiction but they love the sense of, of of recovering from whatever the thing is you know what i mean or just the better side of life you know and it could be like that getting into the outdoors you know getting into getting into the sea, having a crack, having a banter, having authentic conversations, not afraid to say, I feel lousy today, I don't feel good enough, you know, I feel less than. And being able to kind of say that to someone else and and be like, oh yeah, it's cool, man, I feel like that too, it's cool. And, you know, it's all right. And, and, and that's a beautiful thing, like, you know. Yeah, it's about, it's about people accepting you as you are. Yeah. And also isolation is very, very bad for everybody. So if anyone is having issues with someone in their home or someone very close to them is abusing a substance, take up the phone and ring somebody and find and find some help, get some help for it. Don't sit there by yourself, worrying yourself into a, into anxiety and maybe then he- heading down to the GP and getting antidepressants because that's not that's only altering your perception of the reality. Whatever's going on is still going on. But it's amazing when you come into a support group and everybody else is, is going through similar. You just feel identification. And you just feel, you know, you feel like you're home because I would have uh, had a lot of that stuff. I never felt good enough as a, as a child. And 
and often felt displaced and didn't know where I belonged. And because I grew up in a city and yet I was much happier down the West, always, you know, always as a child, much, I much preferred it down there. And yet I was living in the city. And then <clears throat> I remember um, we were, you know, we were meant to be from Dublin, but my dad <clears throat> and mum, all their friends came from the country. And dad was involved in the GA club. I remember on one occasion, a man saying to me, and, and where are you from? And I said, Dublin. And he goes, oh, where's your father from? I said, Roscommon. Oh, then you're all right. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> so I always felt it was wrong to be a dub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I love it. I love being a, I love being a culture heart. You know, there's something yeah. beautiful about the West of Ireland. Like Mayo, Mayo is my spiritual home. Like I, I, have, I have like two Mayo jerseys. I'm like a Mayo, Mayo at heart. I know my brother Kevin now would probably kill me for saying that, but uh just, I just love Mayo, you know, just nature out there, you know, mm. and as you, as you know, I'm a big nature enthusiast and for me, my higher power is uh, G.O.D. is, is the mm. great outdoors, like, you know, to be able to kind of connect with nature, like nature is like my walkie talkie to God, you know, mm. when I'm out like him this morning down in the sea, I just feel like, I just feel connected, mm. you know, what I, and I feel when I look at the stars or I'm up in the mountains hiking or whatever, I just feel there's way more to life than what meets the eye. Yeah. And that makes me feel at ease. What are your, like, what are some of your strategies for your own mental health and keeping your own kind of connection strong and keeping yourself, mm. your well-being? Well, I, I try to get out for a walk. And um, I find now, because I'm into my 60s now at this point, and sitting on the yeah, couch. Only a pup. I know. I wish. <laughs> but sitting on the couch and just staring at TV is very, very bad for me because it means that I, I, get, I would get stiff then. And also, I, I go to about two meetings a week down in Mayo, but there's also Zoom meetings as well. If, you know, and, and a lot of support groups now run Zoom as well as the, the live. And it's taking up the phone. And I find that hard to do sometimes. But taking up the phone and having a chat with someone, if you're feeling a bit low in yourself, and often after a phone call, um, you can actually feel much more lifted in yourself. But the main thing is, um, you know, not not to, not to be uh, isolation, I think. I think lockdown would have um, harmed a lot of people with the isolation and that. And I thought when they were cocooning the elderly, that was the cruelest thing I ever saw. Because when they were just sitting, you, you could only look in, the, look in at them through the window. I thought it was awfully cruel. Because um, I find in my case, now I can only talk, this is me sharing my own stuff. If I'm too long on my own, uh, yes, I start going into stinking thinking and you're in your head all the time. At least when you're out walking and you're, you're walking in nature, even if you're only just walking down the road and back. I mean, it's amazing. The fresh air, it actually lifts me up completely. And that's something often when I get a headache now, I find it great to get out and walk. Now, I'm very lucky that I'm, I'm living down in the Foxford, which is a lovely little village on the banks of the River Moy. So there's lovely scenery to walk around. But it doesn't matter. Just even get out and walk down, you know, just go for a 50 minute walk every day. Now, I know in the wintertime it can be difficult. And the one kind of weather I hate is when there's ice on the footpaths, because then there's always the fear of fall. But every day, try and get out for a walk and pick up the phone and talk to someone. Don't ever spend 24 hours without speaking to anybody. That's not healthy. Pick up the phone or text and talk to somebody. And f and also find out what's going on in your area. Is there, even if it's only um bridge or if it's only just a book club or a, a, I mean, a dance class or anything. I mean, there's a lot of walking groups there of all kinds of levels. But join something. Just have somewhere to go, at least, you know, have have something. I remember 
this Dave, who was my husband, he um, he always had things to do every day. And he said if he didn't have things, because he lived on his own and um, he was out in the country, but he said every day he made sure he had somewhere to go. If we, you know, he was only out of the house for an hour where he actually spoke to somebody. But it, that kept him going because it's not good for us. We're not meant to be isolated. It's not good for any of us. And I think it's very bad for mental health. So mm. just get out there or, t- or make a phone call. I love that. I love that and I love you. Ma'am, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast for a chat. That was, uh, that was powerful. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish it up? No, if anyone has any questions, to send them all to Colm and if, if I can help anyone at all, I'd be delighted to. Okay, and thanks very much for having me, Colm. You're an absolute legend. A legend of a mammy. The Mayo mammy. Right, ma'am. Thanks a million. We'll have to get you into the sea now one of the days for an old dip. Yeah, that'll be, I'll probably die of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> right, ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.